Welcome to Dwight in Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I play Yakopo. Today, we're recording in the Comedy Store in Hollywood, and we're talking about Season 1, Episode 5, Shackle, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, directed by Paul Hohen, guest-starring Andrew Pifko and Bonita Frederici. As always, a blanket spoiler alert, so if you haven't watched Episode 5 yet, stop whatever you're doing, let someone else have a turn in that bouncy castle, and watch Shackled either on BYU TV or at BYUtv.com slash Dwight. First, a quick recap. Minutes before his perfectly planned carnival fundraiser for the arts kicks off, Dwight and Greta are kidnapped by Macklin the Fox, played by Andrew Pifko. When Greta refuses to give Macklin the key to her royal treasury, he holds Dwight and Greta prisoner. With the physics of pendulum dynamics, momentum, and friction on their side, our two heroes escape back to the carnival, but without the key to their restraints. The duo must stay shackled together as Dwight tries to complete his duties running the carnival and Greta looks for a way to defeat Macklin. Need I say, hilarity ensues. Now that everyone's been brought up to date, let's get to our guests. We have both our creators and showrunners with us again, Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams. Hello. Hey Josh. We're back, Josh. Us back. We're yes. Back. They're both here. What will we ever do? <laughs> <laughs> and for the first time, we have Andrew Pifko, who plays Macklin the Fox. Yay, Andrew! And back in studio with us is everyone's favorite activities chair, Dwight himself, Sloan Morgan Siegel. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, since this is the first time you're here with us on the podcast. Hello. Hello. I want to ask you what I ask everyone. Yes. Um, how did Dwight come into your life? Uh, well, first of all, it's great to be here with everybody. So it's great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. pleasure. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, I had done a uh, casting workshop with uh, Dayton Walters Casting, uh, and they had seen me, I guess, about a year earlier for a project called, so they brought me in from the casting workshop to, for this feature film called uh, Daddy Issues, uh, which is actually has just been released just a few days ago. Um, and that was the last time that I'd seen them. Flash forward a year later, the next time that I saw them, they brought me in for this. Uh, and yeah, saw the breakdown, tried to get a sense of it, tried to sort of get a sense of the world. And, you know, you uh, look at what uh, the writers had done previously, and that's that's true of any project, I find, uh, just to get a flavor of, of their writing and the approach. And I think, okay, I think uh, I know how I'm going to come into this. And, this, uh, you know, I'll swing with a pretty bold bat. And, uh, you know, you make some, some pretty bold, bold choices. I think on the day I was just like up on a chair, kind of puck Midsummer Night Dream-like, um, <clears throat> I think I frightened you at one point. You're like, don't fall back on the chair. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, just sort of uh, took uh, took a stab at it, and thankfully it, it worked out. And we're you know flash forward we're here now. But uh, that was sort of the the genesis of how I brought mm -hmm. got brought to the project. I love that, and and I think uh, for people listening, every person who's been on this show so far has said, well, I took a really big swing at the audition. And yeah. That That's, is a good lesson for everybody out there. There you go for for acting. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the people who took really big swings and it didn't pay off aren't here. <laughs> it, but but that's that great thing. No, I, you got it. You got it. You got to do it. You got to commit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. One of my yeah. one of my favorite things I heard from a casting director is. If you're a banana, you go and be that banana in the biggest way possible. Yeah. If they're looking for apples that day, there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. And if they want less is more, peel that banana. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words here. Well, but I, I will say this. We had in mind something very particular for, for Macklin the Fox. And, and really every actor that came in was 
excellent. We felt like we could have cast Macklin five or six times, and, and they were all sort of an Errol Flynn meets Gaston kind of swashbuckling kind of character, which was very much what we'd pictured. And then Andrew came in and played him so intense and so, like, like tortured that in that moment in the room, we completely revised our whole attitude about the character. Let's listen to a clip. <laughs> ah, an excellent day's catch. Allow me to introduce myself. Well, I know uh, who you are. You do? The green garb, feathered cap, the rakish bravado, and the mysterious tattoo on your left. Right. Right wrist. You are Macklin the Fox. You are Princess Greta the Besieged. And you are... Uh, um, Dwight, the activities chair. Look, thank you for, um, for the novel experience. Really, I wish we had more time, but uh, we're kind of committed to this thing. <laughs> Terry a while. Time enough for cares and woes. Yeoman, make merry! <laughs> when Macklin shows up, it's like the most joyous happy like energetic by far the happiest villain we've seen yet um but when he's asking for what he needs that vulnerability absolutely pierces through so so for you what was that like coming at that character what what were you focused on was it more physicality was it the vulnerability what what brought it to life for you i think uh approaching any character the, the audience always asks why are they doing what they're doing and that's mm-hmm. true of that's true of comedies that's true of drama uh, that's true, you know, for uh, adult shows. That's true for kids shows, and, uh, and this is certainly no different. Uh, you want to know uh, why you exist in the world, and and for this uh, for this guy, um, how did he used to exist in the world, and what does he come from? So, you, you approach any character from that perspective. So for him, it's you know, what are you looking for? What do you want? Like some basic actor one hundred and one stuff. Um, do you want love? Do you want to rebuke love? Do you want to find yourself? Do you want to lose yourself? Whatever, whatever that might be. So in this case, um, you know, whatever, uh, ferocity might come at, might come out, I think is a testament to the fact that he's looking, that he's on a hunt. He's on a hunt for his identity. Uh, and that comes out in, in any number of productions. Uh, the, the gentle quality comes across, uh, you know, and when, uh, I guess, uh, Greta, recognizes me and I just that sort of cracks me wide open because it's like oh you do know and that just in just a subtle you know form of approach it opens you know it takes away the ferocity and just you just see the gentle creature inside that is such a beautiful moment when she goes I know who you are and mm-hmm. I and I and this is for you as well as Leon and Brian I feel like that must have been very purposeful to have one of our leads say that to a man who is clearly looking to find out who he is and she mm-hmm. says I know it, it, it absolutely was, and, and and the way Andrew played it, I, I think, was a, a dream come true, even a little bit you know, much better than we had hoped mm-hmm. for. Because you see it on his face; it, it just the look speaks volumes. Like, wait, you you do know who I am? <laughs> could, could could you uh, could we talk about that for a minute? <laughs> well, and that's before we even know that he himself doesn't know who he is, and and of course he's disappointed an instant later when he realizes, oh, she doesn't. She can't answer my question about my real identity. Right. She just knows Macklin the Fox. But there's this little moment where he, where it's like, 
Have you I see found it on his face. A, a clue? Yeah. And yeah. then, oh, <laughs> no, not this time. But but it's a, it's a subtle thing. But if you're watching for it, you see it and it sort of breaks your heart. Yeah. It is. And, and you're so, uh, Andrew, you're so uh, engaging and joyful and oh, vulnerable thanks, all at the same time. Perfect. Right off the bat, you're like, oh, I love this guy. This yeah. Just keep him on the screen. I, I think, uh, you know, the other side of, you know, finding what the character wants is whenever I go through, you know, an audition script uh, is seeing where the obvious trap lies. And yes. the obvious audition trap. And you can, uh, off, it's, it, it presents itself pretty readily, pretty fast. They think, I think most people are going to do this at this point. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, I felt a lot of people were going to be there. Oh, what are you? Yeah. I am this fantastic person. And here is my shield yep. and scabbard. And, and I, I think that, that Errol Finn qual- Flynn quality uh, was the trap. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true if that's true of, you know, dark dramas. You know that at this point in a, you know, a CSI thing, they're going to laugh maniacally at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. For no, <laughs> well, <laughs> why are they laughing? I don't know. But you know 90% of people are going to do that. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, take a second pass, take a third pass. Mm-hmm. So you avoid that trap that, that lays in wait. I love that. And I was going to say, for me, the, the traps almost always are some version of not fighting for something because you can show up, you can show up and be sad about your life or you can show up and be that Errol Flynn. Like I don't care about anything. And you go, okay, then I don't care about this person because they're not fighting for anything. Um, let's cycle back to the beginning of the episode. So we start, um, very, very differently than the previous episodes, which all start with um, villains, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This one starts with a set piece more than anything. It's a, it's at this carnival, and uh, we get that this carnival is insanely important to Dwight. It's going to fund the arts. Um, first off, how did you have a carnival set? <laughs> did you have to rent a Ferris wheel, and was it well, the fu- uh, most fun day ever? When, when we wrote... <laughs> When we wrote this, uh, we, we sometimes are not really connected to reality when we come up with ideas, which I think is is good. We just sort of let our imaginations, you know, take flight. But then it, it always smashes into the you know fiscal realities of oh wait, we need a carnival, and, and and this actually went through a lot of iterations. And I have to give a big shout out to our our locations gurus, Clayma. Andy Langdon and Andrew Hodge because they came up with the idea of uh, Liberty Park mm-hmm. in Salt Lake City. I had never been there before, but much of the actual set pieces that were there are are fixtures in Liberty Park, uh, like the uh, merry-go-round and the big swings and you know, all, all this stuff. So that was there. And the park coincidentally thankfully was not open at that time so it was just I think in the beginning of the spring so they hadn't opened for business yet but it was the weather was nice enough that it worked for us and we're like oh my gosh the stars aligned and so we were able to get it for actually a reasonable price as well Uh, so we got so much more production value because you know our locations gurus came up with that like perfect set honestly what we had (laughs) on our on our budget and with what we could do was like you know a bouncy house (laughs) I I had I had to had a real talk <laughs> with Cody Bush, our art department. He's like, "Listen, your carnival is going to be kids throwing bean bags at each other <laughs> on this side of the park, <laughs> and kids with hula hoops on that side of the park." Uh-huh. And I was just like crying. Like, <laughs> you wanted your carnival. I did. It looks so beautiful on camera, yeah, and so the, the collaboration between the art department and the locations department really saved the day there. And, and it's it's you know one of those you know serendipitous moments that have just really worked. All right, so. I, I think this episode um, is a big thematic episode. I feel like it's 
more than previous episodes, it's it's about character arc and theme more than plot. And right off the bat, we see what I would consider an extreme version of Dwight's darkest quality or most difficult quality, which is he says yes to everything. He finds out that Declan sprained his wrist, and so he says, I'll do big bubbles. Ah, Declan. <laughs> and, and I think that it's a real, this episode's a really deep look into how Dwight overextends himself. Mm-hmm. What's that like uh, for you, Sloan, with Dwight? Well, well, the perfect thing about Shackled, the perfect thing about this episode, and why it's one of my favorite episodes of the season and favorite ones to film, uh, is because it, it shows uh, the contrast of uh, Dweta. Sorry, it shows the contrast the of name. Dwight and Greta uh, for the first time, really. I mean, there are other episodes where they're, you know, they might be at odds. You know, like in Peanut, they had a little bit of a, a conflict, right? But but in Shackled, it's it's Dwight's, you know, life. Uh, and Greta just tearing it down, not meaning to, just just getting in the way. And the whole time she's like, she's like, oh no, we have to uh, deal with these brigands and knaves. And I'm, I'm like, no, 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 I'm on big bubbles. Like I, I have to do this, I have to do that. And um, like you said about overextending himself, that that is his big flaw. And another big flaw is when he doesn't get things the way he wants them. I mean, sure, he's a very giving person, but at the same time, if he cannot be on his schedule, uh, it, it, it just gets to him a little bit. And that's the only time you really see him push back against another person mm-hmm. is when he's like, no, I, I have to I have to do this. I, I told him I would be here. I have to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... Uh, I don't know, just a big part of who he is. That's everyone has their little, uh, not their flaw. Everyone has their vice. Mm-hmm. You know, every character has mm-hmm. their vice, and Dwight's vice is definitely when he agrees to way too much, mm-hmm. and he definitely can't deliver. Especially now that uh, Greta and Baldrick are in his life. Of course. Um, so so far with the introduction of Macklin, every villain on this show has no parents to speak of, Peanut included, <laughs> and and um, I was curious if. If that, I mean, obviously it's a purposeful theme. Is that for Dwight what's drawing him to have sympathy for these people? Is it for the purpose of teaching Dwight that there are other people in the world like him? Where's that coming from? Well, this is in a lot of ways the a story about people who have been cut off from their world, from their parents, from their origin. So they're all orphaned in that sense. Um, and and I think on a really, really deep level, Dwight would understand what it feels like to be orphaned, to be cut off from your origin. And so, you know, everyone who comes out of the woods has the vulnerability of a lost child, even if they're bad guys. <laughs> they're, they're, they're entering a brand new world where they don't have their bearings and they're at such a huge disadvantage. So it gives you an automatic sympathy for them because they've lost everything. Like, like Winnie says in her episode, like I've been, I've lost everything and everyone and no human soul cares. Um, and so I think Dwight does tap into that vulnerability um, it, on a very deep level that he's probably not conscious of, but he taps into that feeling of having lost everything. Sloan, what was it like shooting this episode being shackled to Caitlin for the entire episode? Oh, oh boy, it was great for me, terrible for Caitlin. Uh, she uh, ha- did not understand my sense of humor until that episode because she was forced to understand my sense of humor. So, <laughs> well, what was funny about that is like we've actually known each other years before the show, uh, but we didn't really get to know each other until that episode. And uh, <laughs> I remember we were filming, but we were waiting to like run in uh, to a scene, and like this lady that had no idea what was going on walked by and said, oh, what are you guys doing, filming a TV show? And I said, no, just role-playing. And she walked away, and Caitlin was like, 
Sloan? <laughs> <laughs> you can't tell people that. And I'm like, well, I, well, I mean, she's not going to not believe us. <laughs> the safety <laughs> word is Ferris. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, so just jokes, constant jokes that I, I, and I make a lot of puns. And boy, when you're shackled oh, yeah. to someone that makes nonstop puns, oh, yeah. you probably would want to dr- rather drag their dead body. <laughs> but, um, but no, it was a lot of fun for us. So Joel uh, was very sick when you're we shooting this episode. Uh, did you have to restructure the we episode? We did, yeah. There, the scene that where um, Dwight and Greta are eating the pie surrounded by all of the things that they've won, that was originally written to be the three of them sitting there eating the pie. The whole scene had Baldrick in it, mm-hmm. um, but Joel was too sick, and so we rewrote the scene to just be Greta and Dwight, which mm-hmm. actually, when you, when he when had you the look whole, at it... Did we get, he was able to take the whole day off, right? Yeah, and and yeah. he got some... You know, some some downtime. Uh, and, then, and then his first day back was when there, we're, we came back to the, um, the Royal Treasury, and he was just... just <laughs> High as a kite <laughs> on, on uh, all Joel's the pain meds. Legally prescribed medication. So he's looking at me and he's like, I don't know how this is going to go. But you can't tell. Like, he, right. no, he he's pulled great. it together. He was fine. He turns yeah. it on when the camera's yeah. on. That's by, great. By the way, funny thing about another funny thing about that particular scene where we're eating the pie, when, when Macklin shows up and just totally ruins everything, I stood up in the scene. Caitlin and I stood up. Well, Caitlin stood up, so therefore I stood up. Yes. And uh, I still had the fork in my hand. So when I threatened him with the fork, I, I just had the fork in my hand. And the scene was going, I was like, I, I guess I'll use the fork. So I used the fork, and then we kept it. Yeah. And the same thing happened when, I, when we turned around to do the little sidebar thing, and there were still guys over there. I was like, naturally, I'd be like, well, like you're li- why else would I turn around? So I told the guy to turn around, and he didn't do it. And Paul, yelled, he went... Turn around! So the guy turned around, <laughs> and then it, we just kept it. That's great. <laughs> I love that. That that fork is is such a genius moment, though. and it's it's yeah. made in several trailers and in several you know publicity photos. It's like it's so it's so Dwightish. You know, like <laughs> you got a plastic fork. Got a plastic fork. <laughs> so I I don't know why, but the out in joke is my favorite joke of the episode, and it might be because. Uh, Greta's oh, so that's all Caitlin yeah, she's all so she, deliberate about she it she added because that we she did walk. she added that she added yeah that. because yeah. she seems so exasperated by it and deliberate with it and Dwight just can't get on board with it like she's and that's all Sloan <laughs> so, I mean, no, what happened was we were try- we were on the fair the, the merry-go-round and sh- and she was and we were like well, we should walk and she's like all right out in out in out in, that's all Caitlin that's not Greta that's Caitlin and yeah. then they kept it and we were like well I guess we have to keep doing it and then she kept doing it and I was like you really don't have so to good. keep doing it well, <laughs> it was great well what I love about it is it, it's it's such a clear build of her exasperation because we get to the point where she says life is misery and fate is cruel and <laughs> I feel like this episode is a bit of a release valve for all the resentments that Dwight and Greta have built up with each other. It's a necessary step for them to become friends. I, I agree. I agree. This one, uh, his world com- or her world comes crashing into his more violently than in any other episode to this point. And, and so they do get more exasperated with each other than we've seen so far. But as in as in every relationship that ultimately ends up being valuable, it has to be tested. It has to go through a period where you're really unhappy with each other. And then by the end, you realize, you know, we can get past this 
I still value you. In fact, I value you all the more because we've gone through this thing together. So it, it was a, an important moment in their friendship that they get kind of cross with each other and frustrated with each other. So things blow up with the snow cone booth tipping over and they're just covered in grossness. Oh, fun and, thing about that. Yeah. We had no idea how that was going to go down. Oh, yeah. I, I, no have, I have a little bit of a story about that. So <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Spinal Tap. Uh, of course. Where, <laughs> well, okay, so they they have a... The, I, I wish I could get the exact like we have a, a Stonehenge that's being that's in danger of being swashed yeah. by a dwarf. I think the danger is, yeah, it's yeah. being crushed by dwarves. Yeah, exactly. Stonehenge is only like an inch and a half. <laughs> so we had that's, that's exactly. It's, and, and we had a similar moment with our snow cone shack. We the snow cone shack ended up when we saw it delivered to set. It was like it's wh- huge. Wh- why did why did someone bring us the Taj Mahal size <laughs> snow cone shack? We, it was supposed to be tiny. We wanted uh, just a ridiculously tiny snow cone shack so that, that was it's part all of the, the joke. crazier when the two of them have to cram in and like, the ti- like telephone booth small and, and, and narrow it was, yeah it was so really huge and, and like, it's oh supposed gosh, to be it's we supposed to tip that thing it's supposed to be tipped over by like a, a 14 year old well, girl it was made of like <laughs> solid maple yeah that it, thing will be here hefty. you know till the end of time do they, they make that or they, they rented that it they made it, it. Oh. they they built it and it was just like it, somehow in the like dimensions they decided right. to use 10 feet for every side <laughs> anyway oh, it was, oh, it was it, probably like, they thought they asked for a small one but won't they be so happy when we give them a big one <laughs> <laughs> so the problem with having a very narrow and but yet long and large snow gun jack is when you flip that over, now Caitlin and I have to climb, climb out of it top. with our legs and our, oh, our arms. Yeah. So we had a ladder in there. Of course. And, and the guy, the a lovely guy named Merrick, who was in our electric department, and, and we were like, Merrick, we need to like not fall. And he went, I'm just an electrician. <laughs> and we, <laughs> we were like, but we need your help. So we had to start about halfway up the ladder, but we had to s- slip through this tiny hole, shackled together, and end up on top. And when we get up there, it's it's really high up, it and it's tall. like a long fall. Yeah. And, we, and, and Paul was just like, stay up there. We were like, no problem, uh, and, and it, like it was, it was crazy. Um, but yeah, and another thing about it is like when we had to shake the actual um, shack, uh, we were like, "How are we gonna do that?" And they were like, "I don't know, get a giant pipe and have a bunch of guys do it, like pump it." It's, I think it is that shake that sells that the shack is light enough to tip. It's that yeah, shot yeah. inside mm-hmm. where it's moving that you go, oh, that's real. Cause it's shaking a little bit and then she pulls hard enough that pulls you into the oh, door it totally well, I, and I, it sells good. it. I'm glad. I have, yeah, I have to give Paul, Paul Hohen uh, some credit for oh, this. Oh yeah, he made that because, work. Because when I saw that monstrous shack, I'm like, <laughs> this is the whole, this was one of the big gags of the episode. I'm like, it's never gonna sell, but <laughs> it, it actually works great. Yeah. And and I think at the end of the day, it, the fact that it's big actually did add a little bit is yeah. as preposterous as it is. <laughs> Yes. Paul, Paul's thing on set is like if, if something is in the script uh, and we have no idea how we're going to do it he just goes let's just do it and we, <laughs> and, and we ended up just uh, there were a lot of things like that in the episode where we, we were just like how are we doing this and he's like I don't know just, give just it do us. it and, there, and we did let's listen to another clip they'll never put me in charge of anything again I understand Sir Dwight I recall once the duty fell upon me to mediate peace between a goblin warlord and a clan of dwarves. The mediation did not go as planned. In hindsight, it's possible I said the wrong thing. In the end, they cut each other to ribbons in the Great Hall and I was lucky to escape the bloody scene with my life. So I know about life's little disappointments. 
your highness. Is it Macklin? I see no sign of his naughty knaves. His what? But the tourney's about to begin, and the contestants are a pitiful lot. What say you, Sir Dwight? For art. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to fit a camera crew and a camera in a bouncy house? <laughs> that, that, that was like, I, like we thought the camera... I did not think of that. That sounds insane. Because it was on a stand because there was that above shot, right? That's in the bouncy house. You can't take the oh, roof off of a bouncy gosh. house and then film over it with a crane. We didn't have so, a crane So what they day. do? Did they lay like plywood to keep it they even? They laid plywood down. We had about six people in there and we had the camera on a tower right over us. And I was like, I really hope this doesn't fall on me. Um, because like we had a bunch of guys that were like falling over while trying to film the scene. Uh, and then we had like Steadicam, or, or, or not Steadicam, bouncy we had cam. just uh, bounce, bouncy, bouncy cam. The bouncy cam. <laughs> we had bouncy cam. Opposite of a Steadicam. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was really hard to film. Uh, one other you know, technical difficulty about filming in a bouncy house that we had not anticipated when we wrote this is that, I don't know if you've ever been in the bouncy house, but they are maintained by a very loud motor that sounds like this. Uh, Someone yeah, did some dialogue so over this. <laughs> so we had to obviously ADR really every one of those lines. Bouncy house motor. I've been working on it. I knew this podcast was yeah. coming. But we, I, the funny thing about that ADR is that Caitlin is such an amazing actress that she did that whole speech in ADR in one take. Uh, of course she did. Because yeah. she's uh, that amazing. But the cool thing about, about the three-legged race for Dwight, right? Yeah. He just needs a win. He just needs to do... I, I, and I also think that's that's like the first time he does something for himself. Because I think, I think... That's in, really interesting. In the scene, he realizes that he's been doing everything for everyone else. Uh, in, in the episode is like he's been doing everything for everyone else right and even in the three-legged race he's like well we're doing it for art but but that's that's a little bit of an excuse because I think he's just so exasperated with doing things for other people that the three-legged race is like if we can win it we can win it but like I, I'm gonna do something for me and uh, and then he does because you're right it, it is the most excited you've seen him but yeah. I think that's because he just really hit his breaking point yeah and then it's like well when you go that low you have to start building up somewhere. It feels like a full catharsis from going that low to that high. Well, yeah. and and Greta is not typically the most sensitive person. I mean, Dwight is super sensitive, but I think uh, something sort of uh, interesting happens with Greta in this moment. She's been pushing the whole time. Macklin's coming. We've got to get prepared. We've got to get out of here. I'll, and then Dwight sort of has an emotional collapse. And she lets the whole Macklin thing go. And yeah. she sits and talks to him and tries her darndest to relate to him. <laughs> like, oh, what's a time that I totally failed? <gasps> this is it. <laughs> and tells her terrible story. <laughs> um, and then even when, when her first thought when, when uh, Baldrick comes back is, is it Macklin? Is it Macklin? No, not Macklin. And then she kind of gives this three-legged race as a gift to Dwight. Like, this might mean something to him. I'm going to put away Macklin for a while and let's go do something. Let's let's go be part of this carnival that's so important to Dwight. So it is really a moment she's trying to to be sensitive to the fact that he's falling apart. And she succeeds. That's a, mm -hmm. and and it's it is a very sweet moment and of course Macklin shows up and ruins it very quickly and and steals them away. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, got to keep that plot moving. <laughs> uh, a theme of the episode as a whole I think is compromise. You know, it's like, yeah, of nice. course, it's, yeah. and, and that is, you're right. That, yeah. I mean, well, you wrote it. Of course you're right. But like <laughs> that, that's a really beautiful moment of compromise mm. that you yeah. guys wrote into that. For sure. Yeah. And, and so Macklin shows up and, uh, you get the introduction to the treasury. It's another source. You guys are great at doing this. You've created another source of limitless plot 
Now there's this location where as many plots as you want can come out of it. Was that treasury something you wanted to work in or was that something that just came out of writing Macklin? It, it absolutely was something we wanted to to work in. And, and, and you're right. It's kind of like the undefined forest. Her undefined treasury is the yes. gift that, that keeps on giving and will continue to give. Uh, and, and so it, it's important. Also, just for a uh, just just for the plot to make sense. I mean, Greta goes and buys a house. And so we have to have she has to be she, she she's royalty. She has money. Uh, so but there, there are lots of other treasures uh, that literal and figurative treasures that will come out of uh, out of. The, the royal treasury so yeah it's it's another gift we've so we given ourselves things, we have something to look forward yeah. to I, I love the, pro- that. the production yeah. design in that room was just incredible oh, it just looked it was just amazing popular. like just that just the attention to detail like the wax the dripping mm-hmm. of the wax the scrolls the yeah. just you know yeah. the breadth of the room you know before the lighting design even comes in that you can actually yeah. feel the texture come yeah, across it, i was walking i was like job. i mean they really outdid themselves but it, that was really where it was well, front it, and center cody bush and his entire you know production yeah. design team every, every time Every time Cody says it, you know, it, anything's possible, but he's really saying it's not possible this time. You you pushed me too far, and then every <laughs> well, time. Well, so the bandit camp, um, oh, we're yeah. talking about the bandit camp, and he's like, "So your bandit camp, it's going to be a fire pit with a couple of logs on it. Are you all right with that?" And I'm like, "Cody, are you telling me that's all we can do?" And he's like, "I'm telling you that is all we can do." And I said, "Okay, all right, I get it. I'm happy with a fire pit with a couple of logs on it." Then I show up that morning, right. and it's a whole freaking bandit yeah. camp with tents. Oh, just gorgeous. That. But he does it to me every time. Yeah, he's <laughs> your uh, he's your Scotty the engineer. Yeah, yeah. he's like, "It'll yeah. take two <laughs> weeks, Scott. <Leon. laughs> I cannot do it. I'm not each that's that. Exactly what that's he's exactly like. what he is. He's the master of of setting expectations, setting low. low. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. over, now, your table will be ready in one hour. <laughs> Ooh, it's been five hey. minutes. How fantastic. Um, so so let's let's talk about the penultimate scene um with dwight and greta at the fair under the fireworks are we seeing the beginning of a romantic relationship between them i mean i can't i can't i can't say all right i'm gonna let y'all just uh assume what you would like but for me personally i saw it as that Mm -hmm. i saw it as dwight not only seeing Greta as a friend for the first time, but really seeing Greta for the first time. Because hmm. it, it, she's always been warrior princess girl. She's always been, oh, she's this crazy thing that's come into my life. But I mean, that's what love is. It's just a crazy thing that comes into your life and you don't know what it is. And you try and define it and you can't define it until the one day you look at someone under fireworks and you realize, you're my life. So, well, I don't know. <laughs> I just got chills. Well, I, I just got chills yeah. in here. That's beautiful. <laughs> All right. Did you want to confess something to any girl that might be listening now? Uh, Yes, I'm three weeks pregnant. (laughs) Congratulations. Congratulations. You are not supposed to tell people that. That's too soon. That is way early, man. Uh, All right. So, Andrew, let's wrap this up. Um, On that note, let's wrap this up. Sloan is registered at uh, Baby and Beyond. The, uh, the, The final scene where Macklin discovers he's a shifter. What does that mean for Macklin? I mean that's part of the that's part of the journey that's the next step. I mean if this is if this whole thing is a choose your own adventure, you know, you or discover your own adventure, that's that's the next, you know, you reveal yourself, you you reveal like a little bit about yourself and 
you know, that's that's true. Of, you can easily, I mean, it's a fantastic world, but you can, anybody who, you know, signs up for 23andMe automatically has, you know, you always try to find some sort of present day thing. I love that the tapestries are Macklin's 23 The tapestries are Macklin's. It's like, oh, I come from this. I come, you know, and in other words, you, you don't just have to think, what would it be like to find a magical fox? You don't have to think about that. You think like, Oh, my grandfather came mm-hmm. from there, or I'm from this, and you never knew it. So you can you can always find something that um, you know uh, that links you, that links you back to the present world that can that can be relevant for a present day audience. Right. So we we were astonished as we did research on mythologies from Germanic cultures, Norse cultures, Celtic cultures, um, and uh, Baltic. Slavic cultures, those are the ones that we really go to for most of our our inspiration, how often uh, shape-shifting is involved in these mythologies. Hmm. Almost all of them have shape-shifters of some kind. And uh, and particularly, the older the mythologies are, shape-shifters that shift into animals. And so we just thought, you know, it feels right for our world to do something with a shape-shifter. Everyone's seen so many shape-shifters that finding a way to make it unique um, was really tricky, so we thought, well, we'll we'll call them shifters, and we'll start to build sort of this idea that they're out there in our world, um, that that um, that people in our world know what a shifter is, but it's still a rare and incredible thing, and we'll introduce it with Macklin, but we won't say really what it means, uh, and then in a coming episode, we get more into into shifters and what they can really do, uh, and we we get to meet another shifter, um, and and with every step there, we're kind of building a um, building our own mythology that shifters exist in our world, um, that they mostly keep it hidden, uh, that they're identified by the, 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 the tattoo on their wrists. Um, and that's going to become more, we're going to do more with that. Um, it just, it felt like it was, um, it would have been such a missed opportunity if we hadn't had, uh, some animal shape shifters in our, in our story. And so, that started it all, and Macklin was the first. Well, and, and that's the fun thing with having our mythology rooted in such ancient cultures is nobody even really knows for sure what they believed, and that doesn't have to be based in any uh, anything real. But it, it, because it's been around so long, it sort of has the feel of real, but we can twist it and mm-hmm. tweak it and, and make it something unique to to our show. And that's that's what we we've done over and over again is find the the seed of something in in an ancient mythology and then you know tweak it into what what we need it to be for our show and it's it's it, that's really fun um, is there anything else from this episode that anyone wants to talk about? Um, so this episode uh, brings Nana back into the picture yes and and <laughs> Nana is wonderful. Um, so she comes in, Bonita comes in for just these couple of scenes and manages to just steal your heart. And you see <laughs> you see where Dwight gets it from. Like, she is so committed to that raffle. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and with her siren, she just and sells it with her all siren, her heart. <laughs> and she's, she's moving that raffle and she's calling out the numbers as if she's announcing the president of the United States. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so you kind of get this little peek that this is probably what they do every year. They do this carnival, and this is part of their their family culture, and they're totally into it. And just like Dwight, anything that she does, she commits to 100%, and she's just delightful. Her scenes uh, tickle me pink. I love I love asking Bonnie.
Johnny what she's gonna do in a scene, and she's like, "Oh, I'll probably just do a little dance." That's <laughs> <laughs> her like go-to. You're right. <laughs> I've never heard her say that, but you're, now that I'm flashing through all, yeah. she's doing lots always of little dances, dance. and little it dance. works. Well, she's certainly my favorite wrinkly lady. <laughs> Uh, All right. On that note, uh, that wraps it up for season one, episode five of Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind the scenes podcast about everything Dwight. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Sloan. Brian and Leanne, thank you very much. I'd happily spend a day shackled to any of you. (laughs) You can follow Andrew Pifko on Instagram at Andrew Pifko. You can follow Sloan Siegel at Sloan Siegel. You can follow Brian Adams at Brian underscore J underscore Adams. And you can follow me at the Josh Breslow. And if you have any questions that are as yet unanswered about Shackled, please tweet your questions or send video questions to at Dwight and Armor. And we'll tackle them a little bit down the line in a later podcast. Tune in next week for season one, episode six, lessons one through four. I'm Josh Breslow. Thanks for listening. Go on an adventure today. It might change your life.